Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. So glad, I'm so glad, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trouble don't last always. I'm so glad. Amen. It's a blessing to be here with you all on this morning. We continue our sermon series, which has been titled Crucify Him. Two-word sermon series, words that carry a lot of weight, crucify him. We all in here understand and we know the story of Jesus as he walks to the cross. Many of us understand the cross and we see the cross on clothing and on jewelry. And we see it as a symbol of hope, a symbol of salvation, a symbol of love. But I need you to understand that in the time in which the cross existed and the process of crucifixion was happening in this world, the cross was a symbol of sorrow. The cross was a symbol of pain. The cross was a symbol of guilt. And people hated the cross so much that they wouldn't even speak of the cross. It was improper to speak about the cross in in company of other people. Yet, thousands of men were crucified. And yet we remember the cross because of one. And that is Jesus, our Christ. The cross has remained at the center point of our our faith for thousands and thousands of years. And as we look at this sermon series where it covers the last four days of the, or the last three days of the life of Jesus on this earth, we have examined that Jesus Christ was both 100% human being and 100% deity. He was 100% man, and 100% God. And as we look at this, we have anchored the sermon series on the scripture of Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 3, where the Bible states, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. And this is speaking about Jesus here. The Hebrew writer talks about all the things that Jesus allowed himself to have upon him. The beating. The spitting, the whipping. It said, consider these things, how he endured such hostility from sinners, not people who should have been hitting him, not people who were better than him, but people who caused him to be in this situation. Consider the endure, how he endured this hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't have to grow weary and give up. And so as we look at this sermon series, our focus is that he endured so we can endure. He endured 
so we can endure. He endured so we can endure. So as we look at this, the last days of Jesus Christ on this earth, we started off on this last Thursday he was here. He sat down with his disciples and he had a meal with them. And he told them of his intentions and he tried his best to prepare them for how life would be with him gone. And after the meal, he leads some of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him to a garden called Gethsemane, which we understood to be known as the Garden of the Oil Press, right? Gethsemane, that, that place where they would take olives and crush them so that they can get the good things out of them. And it is at this Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays three times the same prayer. Father, if this doesn't have to be, let it not be so, but not my will but your will. And Jesus, his emotions are pressing down on him and the pressure and the weight of having to go through this suffering is pressing down on him. And good things come about from it. But he goes and prays and he walks back and he checks on Peter, James, and John and they fall asleep on him. They're not being very good friends. And as he continues to pray and ask for strength and comfort, he finally stands up after speaking to his father and he says, I'm ready to do what it is that I need to do. And it is at that moment that another one of his disciples comes along by the name of Judas with a mob to arrest Jesus. And to point out who Jesus is to the mob, Judas goes up to Jesus and he kisses him to signify that this is the one that you want to arrest. The mob arrests Jesus and Jesus ends his Thursday being denied by Peter. The same one who said that he would go to prison for Jesus, that he would die with Jesus. He ends the day by telling a whole bunch of people that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus makes eye contact with Peter as he's being led away. He knows that his friend has just denied him. Peter understands this and he sees Jesus and he begins to weep and he runs outside of the courtyard. Jesus is then severely beaten and he's mocked. His next day begins on Friday morning and he faces a court after he was led into a high priest's home on Thursday night. In an unjust trial on Friday morning, he finally gets to face a real court. And he faces the Sanhedrin and they ask him questions about his identity and what he's here on this earth to do. And he makes the bold statement of, I am. And he states that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he's going to be in a position of power. When Jesus makes this statement, the high priests don't need to hear anymore. They say that this man needs to die. But they don't have the power to kill Jesus. And so what they do is they take him to a Roman official, a governor by the name of Pilate. And Pilate has enough sense to say, I need to interview this man to see whether or not Jesus is actually innocent or guilty. And so he interviews Jesus and he asks him questions about truth and he asks him questions about his identity. And Pilate realizes that Jesus is not guilty. And he realizes that Jesus has done no wrong. But yet when Pilate presents his findings to the people, of Jesus, the Israelites, the crowd yells for Jesus to be crucified. Pilate says, I don't want anything to do with this. 
But the yelling of the crowd intensifies and Pilate says, I better go with what the crowd says or else it's going to get ugly. And he relents and he sends Jesus off to be crucified. Jesus is again beaten with a whip called a flagrum that had metal and bone chips on the end of it and metal pieces that made the whips go faster in the air when you swung it. And his flesh is torn from his skin and he's bleeding out. And he begins to be in what looks like hypovolemic shock. And so that means that his body starts to retain fluid and build up fluid around his organs. And he's weakened by this process. And this would have caused him to be thirsty, as he states on the cross that he is thirsty. This would have caused the liquid around his organs to emit this clear fluid. And that is why when they poked him in the side, water and blood flowed out. And he's beaten to a bloody pulp. And then they tell him, you know what? Now after we've beaten you, now you have to carry your cross on the longest route to the city up to this hill called Golgotha. Along the way, he's trying to carry the cross, but his body is weakened, and they find a man from northern Africa by the name of Simon. And Simon, the man from Cyrene, helps Jesus carry the cross, not realizing that while he's come to celebrate the Passover lamb, he is in the presence of the Passover lamb. And he's not carrying the cross of Jesus, but he's carrying his own. He helps Jesus carry the cross They lead him up to the hill called Golgotha. And it's around 9 a.m. on Friday morning where they begin to question his identity again on the hill. There's people surrounding the three crosses. and They begin to ask among the high priests and they mock him and they snare at Jesus and they make fun of him, telling them, if you can save others, you should be able to save yourself. And Jesus speaks these words from the cross to them. He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It's shortly after this where our story continues. Still on the Friday morning, our story continues and you have these people surrounding the crosses. The nails have gone through his wrists, actually. Snap tendons to where he can't support his body. They placed a nail through two feet. Onto the cross, so he has to lift up to be able to breathe. His arms will eventually get tired and he'll slump down. And what usually happens in crucifixion is people die of a fixation. It's there on the cross. Jesus has been placed. A title of kingship has been placed above his head. And Jesus has been lifted up for everyone to see. Him sitting in between two criminals. Him being on the cross as if he is guilty. If you have your Bibles on this morning, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 39, is where we're going to begin. That'll be page 519 in your pew Bible. If you picked up a Bible from behind the seat, it's on page 519. It's good to see our new babe in Christ, Jocelyn, this morning, as well as our guest, the Malloy family. Good to see you here as well. It's good to see Fabian as well back there uh, with us. We'll begin at Luke chapter 23, verse number 39. We'll read his text. We read our text in its entirety to begin with. All right, brother. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to insult at him. Uh Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Mm -hmm. 
But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished, punished justly because we were getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What we see here, and we see the gospels. Remember that Luke is just one of the gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, a bit of John is not that synoptic. With, it's not the same with it all together. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the same story. But as we examine this scene on the cross here, uh, Matthew and Mark tell very different stories. You see, Matthew and Mark, they point towards both criminals making fun of Jesus as he stands or as he's hanging there on the cross. As we look at Matthew chapter 27, verse number 44, the Bible reads, In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. And what it's saying right there is, is that Jesus is sitting here between two criminals. And as we stated on last week, these criminals were not just people who would break the law by speeding like we do sometimes. Right? It's not talking about those things. We can be criminal at times. Sometimes we think we can get away with something. We try to do something to get caught. Right? These guys were people who would break the law and wouldn't care if anybody was watching. These were some bad boys, okay? And so Jesus is placed between them, and both of these men in the same condition as Jesus are taunting him and making fun of him. Can you imagine this? They have nails in their body. They're sitting here slowly dying. Instead of trying to preserve their breath, they're making fun of somebody else's in the same condition. These are some, some messed up people right here, right? And as we look at the text in Mark, go to the next slide there. Mark chapter 15, verse 32, the Bible says, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, this is the criminal speaking to Jesus. They said, let the Messiah, which means the chosen one, right? That's where we get that word Christ from. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. They're making fun of him because of the title that's above his head that says he is the King of the Jews. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, if you're the Messiah, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. They said, we can't believe if we don't see it, right? So even those who were crucified with him taunted him, they say in Mark. So it shows here that the criminals were indeed taunting and making fun of Jesus. So both of these men start from the same position. But by the end of this text, we're going to see that there was a good thief on the cross. How is that possible for a thief to be good? We're going to see that in just a moment. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23. I need for you a second to consider this. Consider the fruit tree. Consider the, future, the fruit tree. When planted, a seed has the potential of all other trees to mature and produce fruit when fully matured. We are a bit like trees in the fact that we mature and we produce fruit. But our fruit is not the, of the edible variety, but it deals in the realm of actions. When we choose to sin against God, it is our fruits being displayed for the world to see. And unlike trees, we decide what our fruit will look like. Our fruits will be based on spiritual nourishment and what we choose to infuse into our hearts and minds. 
If you choose to fill your heart with ways of stealing and making up excuses as to why it's okay, then you may find that you will and are producing the fruit of stealing. If you are over-consumed with pornography, being sexual, pleasing to other people, you lack the desire of a marital commitment, you may produce the fruit of fornication. But Jesus lets us know in Luke chapter 6, verse number 45, that a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I need you to understand that if you give water and soil to a seed, it's going to produce what it's going to produce. But if you being a seed put into your heart nothing but evil, you will produce evil fruit. If you put into your heart good, you will produce good fruit. It says that this thing is overflows from the abundance of the heart. Whatever you put into yourself, you can best believe that it is going to come out. Okay? Whatever you put into yourself is going to come out. You can do it in secret. You can do it when you think no one is watching. But eventually, it's going to come out. And this is the concept that I want you to understand this morning, that it is important with how we deal with our heart. And I'm not talking about this blood pumper right here. I'm talking about this right here. What you put into your mind. The things that you see, you cannot unsee. There's some things that we've seen in our lives we wish we wouldn't have saw. You can't unsee things. You can't unhear things. Some of you may see me at the swimming pool and say, I can't unsee that. All right? <laughs> Whatever you put into your heart, you must be careful with it because it's going to come out. And as we look at the two men on the cross, they have hearts that are troubled. They have hearts that are in bad places, much like a lot of us in here today. Amen. The only thing is, Amen. is we didn't get hung up on a cross for our sins. Amen. We didn't get caught when we were in sin. Our sin doesn't show up because it's not something visual. You know, we look down our noses on, on young people. They, they have babies and, and, and we say, why are you getting pregnant? And then we go home, we cuss out our spouses. And we cheat on tests at school. The only difference is that our sin doesn't show up outwardly. Right? But eventually it's going to come out. Right? So we look at this first thief right here. This thief has a troubled heart. Luke chapter 23 verse 39. The Bible reads, Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save yourself. While he is in the darkest, mm -hmm. yep. the darkest place in his life. It has to be the darkest place in his life because he's about to die. Amen. He's bleeding out. He was probably beat just like Jesus was. He chooses to use the last moments of his life to taunt Jesus. And that is an odd situation. It's an odd situation, but you know what? Sometimes our hearts are so bad that when bad things happen to us, all it does is just stir up all that mess that's in us, and it comes out. 
Some hearts are just messed up that way. But your life goes bad, and then you just want to spit out bad all over the place. That's how we respond that way sometimes. You've been having a bad day. You ain't been living right, but you've been having a bad day. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Then all of a sudden, fingers start popping up and words start coming out your mouth. Some of those things are just coming out that shouldn't come out. You're supposed to be working on your job. Your boss make you mad. You talk crazy to your, your boss. Supposed to be a good worker as a Christian, right? It's like the process of how, how they, they, they refine the gold, right? And they melt it and they heat it up. And all the impurities are supposed to rise to the top, right? But in this heart of this criminal with the bad heart, when his impurities rise to the top, you just start throwing them all over the place. I'm dying. I've been beaten. I might as well bring somebody else down before they die too. Some of us have that in ourselves. Some of us have that in ourselves, but we, we can't look down too much on this criminal right here because we've been in this position before. Well, I have. I can't speak for you. Some of you out here may be living the life of perfection, right? You have the golden aura about you, a halo. You took it off before you came in because you got rain on it. But I've been in this position before to where I've had evil within my heart, and I haven't been obedient to God. And when life got hard, I decided to expel evil back towards the world. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the difference between the bad thief and the good thief? Let's continue reading our text. Verse number 40. Continue. But the other answered, rebuking him. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment. I need for you to focus on this for a moment. He says here, the other thief who started off making fun and taunting Jesus, he rebukes, he corrects. That's what that word means right there. He corrects the other thief and he says, don't you even have respect for God? This man is dying just like you're dying. You're undergoing the same thing that he's undergoing. He says, don't you have respect for God? And that's here. What, what, this is the difference right here. This is the difference between the two people that are on the outside of Jesus. The difference is, is that one has a respect for God and the other one doesn't. How can I tell if I have respect or fear for God? If you can't respect a person who has skin just like you have skin and blood flowing through their veins just like you have blood flowing through your veins, if you can't love another person, then you don't fear God. You don't respect God because it's impossible for you to hate your brother and love God at the same time. And that's the difference. When we find ourselves in positions to where we have hearts that are bad and there will be times where your heart will be filled with evil, you need to understand that the only way out of that place is to have respect for God. And that means that in my messed up that's my word I made up, in my messed up I can still see God and respect his word to obey it, even when I'm wrong. This thief had that in him. I don't know if he had a mother when he was a child that took him to Sunday temple, right? 
Y'all didn't get that. All right. I don't know if he had parents that did that for him. But he had something in him that made him respect God, even though he chose a life of evil. This thief had something good in him. And the start of that thing, the start of that good thing was respect or fear of God. And this isn't the same fear that you have of Freddy Krueger or the clown from it. This is a respect. Right. Verse 41. We are punished justly. The other thief, he states, he says, we are being punished justly. Now, he's stating here, this is what he's saying in essence, we are getting exactly what we deserve. That's hard for a lot of us to do because sometimes we go through things, we are saying, why me? Why am I going through this? And we ain't did right in five years, right? And we're dealing with the God who has to do right. It's against his nature to say, okay, I can just let them get away with that. God has to punish. God has to do what's right for us. He has to do what's best for us. And by doing so, he has to punish so that we can change our minds about what we've been doing. But he says, I'm receiving. We're receiving what we're supposed to be receiving because we've been some bad dudes. He says, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. He's talking about them, but then he comes back to the sinner. He says what? But this man has done nothing wrong. He says, but this man, this man named Jesus Christ from Nazareth, he has done nothing wrong. What he's saying right here. He realizes by the fact that while they're sitting there taunting him, while they're all sitting there gasping for air, while they're all sitting there in pain, he had to have heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. As I'm sitting here reading this and in study, you got to think about, and this ain't in here, but I still got to say it, but you got to think about this for a moment. When you are in your moments of trial, you need to understand that there are people to the left and to the right of you. And they're going to be paying attention to how you respond to Amen. your trials. Amen. And understand Amen. that your response has the ability to save or condemn. If they know that you're a faithful person, if they know that you're a follower of God, and they see that your response to your trials and tribulation is sin, and they're going to say, that's no more real than what I'm doing. You get that? Now I got to go look and see what I was supposed to say. Verse, uh, verse number 40, read 41 again for me. We are punished justly. Okay, okay. Because okay. we were getting back what we deserved for the things we did. Uh -huh. But this man has done nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. So when an open heart is pressed and faced with trials, it seeks another way. Right? When an open heart is pressed with face and faced with trials, it seeks another way. It does not continue to go down the path that got them in trouble. If a heart is working properly and the way that it's been going has gotten them in some trouble, they ain't going to continue to go that way. It's going to try a different path. He started off making fun and taunting Jesus, but that wasn't getting him anywhere. Verse number 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So now, I need you to understand this. 
when he's speaking to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your what? Kingdom. That's weak. Wake up. Jesus, remember me when you come into your what? Kingdom. I need you to understand this man started off by saying that Jesus, you ain't nothing. You're not the Messiah. You're not the king. But now he asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what he does is, is once he begins the path towards having respect for God, he recognizes that Jesus is king. Jesus has authority. Jesus has the ability and the right to tell you what to do in your life. And if you don't realize that when you have a heart that is not geared towards having respect for God, if you don't realize that Jesus has authority in your life, you won't get to where you need to go. Jesus can tell us what to do because he is king. He has authority over our lives. I know that a lot of us don't like being told what to do. Right? We, we, we lived 18 years on this earth just so we can say, when you're in my house, because we heard it so much growing up, you have to do, you got to do what your parents tell you to do. You're under my roof. And you can't wait to get your own roof. Because that means that you're grown, right? But understand, little ones, young people, understand that even when you reach 18, you're still going to be under the authority of somebody. And you might as well choose the one who is the good one, right? Because the adversary, he's going to put you under his authority, and he's going to lead you down some bad places. But Jesus being the authority figure in our lives will lead us into good places. And so he says, Jesus, all I'm asking from you is to remember me. Have some thoughts about me when you come into the kingdom. He doesn't ask to be saved or taken down from the cross. He realizes that he's done wrong. He realizes that he's lived a life that's been pretty messed up. He says, Jesus, you authority figure, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And now I need you to understand. Let me unpack this for you, because when we look at the kingdom of God, we need to understand that God is not coming to bring back a castle on this earth. He's not coming back to take down the government and to take out all the spies and the the infidels or whatever we think as evil people in this world. The kingdom of God is the reign of God, which means that God has authority over all people. At this moment in time, God does not have authority over all people. But I need you to understand that one day, in the blink of an eye, Jesus is going to come back. And every knee is going to bow. And every person alive is going to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the King. And that Jesus is actually real. And everybody will bow. You're not going to be standing. You're going to be like this thief. Jesus, remember me. And he's going to say, I remembered you. To some of us, right? So when we look at this, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't ask for a lot. And this could be because he's thinking about his past. He might be thinking, man, I remember I robbed somebody two weeks ago. And I'm not good enough to be in the kingdom. But maybe if he just remembered me. I I just, I just stole 
$20 out of my mama's purse. I'm not good enough to be with Jesus, but maybe if Jesus remembered me. And see, that's the problem that we have in all of our lives. We do messed up stuff for whatever reason, because when we do it, we don't know why we do it. Really, it's just a war with us between uh, the flesh and us, right? It's us at war with ourselves. But we do these messed up things and we don't know why we do them. And then all of a sudden we think we're too dirty for God. But what this thief doesn't understand is, is that at this moment in time, God is in the act of showing him grace. Grace is the kindness of God. Grace is unmerited favor. We talk, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks in Wednesday Night Bible class, this grace thing. What if you went to work and your job handed you a paycheck with 80 hours on it and you didn't work any? That's grace. That's getting something when you haven't done anything to merit it. You haven't done any work to earn it. That's what God is doing to us. And the thing that's great about God is, is that God has an abundance of grace, an abundance of kindness to show and give you things that you didn't even earn. Understand that the sting of sin, the wages of sin is death. We deserve death when we do what God doesn't tell us to do. But Jesus died in our place. Jesus here, he hears this response from the man, the thief on the cross. What does he say? Truly, I tell you. He says this. Jesus starts off by saying truly. And some of us who have older versions of the Bible, it says amen or something like that. What Jesus is saying when he starts off, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. You can take this to the bank. It ain't going to bounce. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is true with a certainty. What does he say? Today you will be with me in he paradise. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. You don't have to wait. You don't, you don't have enough time to fix your situation. I'm going to fix it for you. You don't have the ability to fix your situation. I'm going to fix it for you. And what Jesus is showing us here is a couple of things. First, Jesus is showing that this thing where he was put up on a cross is not by accident. And it's not them having power over Jesus. Jesus says, I still have authority even though I'm on the cross gasping for air in this human body. I'm still 100% God. And today you will be with me in paradise. Now this word, when we look at it here, when we look at the word uh, in a Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. This is the same word that they use to describe the Garden of Eden. And so it talks about this enclosed garden. And the idea here is, is that he says, today you will be with me in this place, in this enclosed place, this place that is safe, this place where God exists. In Hebrew thought, they believed that paradise was the place that you go or where the righteous would go after they died. We know this as Abraham's bosom, right? You heard that before? This is the place where the righteous go. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? One of them died. They saw the other one in torment, but the other one was in paradise, in Abraham's bosom. Jesus tells this man, you're not going where the bad folks go, even though you lived a bad life. 
I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself because you came to me and you recognize that I am the king. I am the authority figure. And today, when you breathe your last breath, you are going to be with me in paradise. Some folks will take this scripture to say that this is how things work still now. No, I don't think that you're that, that's not how things work because the Bible doesn't end here. The Bible goes on to explain a little bit more things. But in this instance, with this bad man on the cross, Jesus tells him, on this day, you will be with me in paradise. A place to where you don't have to worry about whether or not you have to make bad decisions anymore because God is going to provide everything that you need. Where you won't have those earthly desires to steal, to kill, to do wrong. You're just at peace. In the place where God exists. As I read this, you know, I'm studying this throughout this week. You know, we had two funerals uh, that we went to this week. And I think about this and I observe the families of the people who have lost loved ones. And I got to say, as I'm sitting there and I've been reading this text, I think to myself, what? Did these people think right before they die? You know? And I have to ask myself, am I going to have the confidence that I'm going to be in paradise when I die? Am I doing things so that I can be in that place? What about the family members that know how this person or where this person was when they died? How their hearts troubled whenever they could have said something to correct, and they didn't. You know, I, th- I thought about these things as I was studying this lesson. It, it, it bothered me a little bit. Uh, go back to verse number 43. What Jesus does here is this. Jesus tells this openly and unashamed sinner that he is going to inherit a place that is reserved for those who have lived righteous life. This does, not, this does not promote a deathbed repentance. You can't just live your life how you want to and then hope that you, at the end of your life, you get a last breath and you say, Jesus, let me into paradise. That, that would be kind of taking advantage, right? That's, that's not what this is promoting. But this does mean, or this does, does not mean that one does not have to be baptized. There was nothing to be baptized into at this point. Jesus is still living. And the arrival of the Holy Spirit has not come yet. But because of the recognition of the authority of Jesus Christ, this sinner was allowed to be saved on that very same day. So Jesus shows us that although he is being slowly killed, he's still in control. And so for those of you who asked the question at the beginning, how can a thief be good? He can't be good by himself. He has to come into contact with Jesus. You may be asking yourself, how can I as a sinner be good? You have to come into contact with Jesus. How can I, as a liar, be good? You have to come into contact with Jesus. How can I, as a drunkard, be good? You have to come into contact with Jesus. How can I, as someone who can't put down the weed, who can't put down the crack, who can't put down the meth, who can't stop stealing, who can't stop cheating on tests, how can I be good? You have to come into contact with Jesus. You can be good. You can be good in the eyesight of God, but you have to. To come into contact with Jesus. The day that Jesus was hung on the cross. And this is my conclusion. 
he chose, Jesus chose to be in that position for us. He chose to hang between two criminals as if he were one too. He knew that we would be in sin and yet he endured so that we could endure. He understands that our hearts have strayed, will stray from God. He knew that we would at some point believe the lies of the adversary and go off and live for our father, the devil, as we have at times. But God has given us a path back to peace and the providence that they had in Eden. A paradise where God provides and the worries and cares of humanity disappear. But the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, is do you want to be good? It's not something that I can do for you. I just present the word of God is your choice to decide whether or not you want to be good. Whether or not you want to be seen good in the eyesight of God. Just like this criminal here, you must recognize that Jesus Christ is the authority. You hear the word of God about the son of God coming down from heaven in the form of a man on this earth to die for our sins. Do you believe that is true? Do you believe that is true? You have to tell yourself, I don't want to live for me anymore. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is a change of heart. All of us in here have tried our best to lose weight. You tried slim fast, slim slow for some of us. We go to the gym for a couple of weeks and we stop. But it is not until we make up our minds that we're going to be consistent in exercise and practicing a good diet that things actually happen. It's the same in your spiritual life. When you make up your mind and say, I want to live for God, that's the point at which it starts to happen. It's not something that you can do. The next thing that you must do is you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This same confession cost Jesus his life on this earth. When you make the confession, you're pledging your allegiance to Jesus Christ. The next thing that you must do is you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. Jesus Christ died. He was hung on the cross. They put him into a borrowed tomb, and he rose from the dead. Baptism the word literally means to be buried in the Greek, baptizo. Literally means to be buried. This is a reenactment of Jesus' last couple of days on this earth. We go into the water as the old us, and when we're buried, we meet the blood of Jesus, and his blood washes our sins away. God no longer sees those sins that you have committed in your past, and you are a new creature in Christ. That means all old things have passed away, and you are new to begin your life in Christ. Whether you want to believe it or not, your sin that you've committed in the past does have an expiration date, and it's your choice is when it expires. If you want to give your life to Christ on this morning, if you're in need of prayer, I invite you to come forward. If you need someone to come with you, just raise your hand. We'll come back. Somebody will come back and get you. We'll pray with you. Please do so as we sing the song of invitation. All my trust.